For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am very excited about today's show. Today, we're going to explore how a blog can be the center of your entire marketing plan. And we're going to do this with Joe Polizzi. If you don't know who Joe is, he's the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, and he's the co-author of two books on content marketing. He's got a very popular blog. He's very qualified to talk about this. But before we do that, we've got a caller question. So we're going to go ahead and take that question now. Deep from within a remote jungle village, here's this week's social media question. Hi, Michael. My name is Scott, and I work for trainup.com. We're kind of the Expedia of the training industry. And I'm a listener to the show, and I'm registered to go to the Social Media Marketing World Conference in April, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, We just recently launched our social media sites, and I've been handling the Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest pages. And along the way, I listen to podcasts and do research on best practices But I'm continuously facing one big challenge that's kind of blocking some creativity at times. Most of the examples that I see, especially when it comes to Facebook and Pinterest, there are companies, the examples are companies with very visual products like furniture, shoes, food, things that give those companies plenty of pictures to post uh, that are, you know, obviously attention getters and fun to look at. But what kind of things can you do when your product is less visual, like uh, a training portal (laughs) like ours? I mean, we specialize in learning management systems and finding people training in uh, business, HR, IT, law, and and other industries. So what are some of the things that we can do uh, with a less visual product uh, when we need to be posting things that are engaging and attention-getting? on um, social sites like Pinterest and Facebook. Uh, Thanks for allowing me to ask the question, and I hope to hear from you soon, and keep up the great work. Well, hey, thank you, Scott. Um, First of all, I'm really glad that you're coming to Social Media Marketing World because there are going to be a lot of people there that are going to be much more qualified than me to give you insight into this. And I'll tell folks a little later how you can learn about that conference. But let me give you some of my thoughts. Since you said that you guys are just getting started with your social strategy, um, in your case, I may ask maybe or put to question whether or not images should be in the center of your social strategy. Your business model is not all that different than Social Media Examiner's business model. Uh, at, At the end of the day, what we do is we sell events. You sell training. It's kind of similar. And 
you know, what you have to ask yourself is, first of all, is Pinterest even the right network for you to be focusing on? Or does it make more sense to focus on Twitter and Facebook? I might argue that if since you're just getting started, I would not focus too much on Pinterest. This is just my personal assessment. I would much rather see you on Facebook and on Twitter. And a couple things to keep in mind. Um, and a lot of folks listening to this might be surprised, but Facebook is now actually penalizing posts that have images in it. And what I mean by that is we've done extensive studies with our 115,000 Facebook fans. And we found that when we do not include an image inside the post, the post is seen by a lot more people. And of course, the, the posts that do have images tend to have higher engagement. So it's a little bit of a catch 22. But if you want your content to be seen by the most amount of people right now, Facebook is letting people pay for that. They're letting the advertisers have that. And they seem to be tweaking the algorithm in such a way that uh, you're better off not posting any kind of images at all. Now, um, what would you do instead? Well, my thoughts are to focus on written content. I think you should focus heavily on blogging, maybe podcasting, having some of these expert trainers share their knowledge, and use content as your form of drawing people in. And of course, encourage people to share that content through the social networks. Look at how we do it at Social Media Examiner, and I think you'll get a lot of ideas. Now, if you really still want to include an image um, you could start using different kinds of images. Perhaps it's screenshots, depending on what kind of training you're doing. Or maybe it's some sort of a diagram showing a process rather than a photograph. So, Scott, I hope you find this uh, helpful and you're going to learn a lot more at Social Media Marketing World. If you're interested in leaving us a voice message for possible inclusion in a future podcast, you can do that at socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail. And... Perhaps you'll make it on one of the future shows. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's expert interview. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I am so excited to be joined today by Joe Polizzi. If you don't know who Joe is, he's the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, which is by all means the leading source in the world for anybody who wants to learn anything about content marketing. He's also written two books, co-authored them. The first one's called Get Content, Get Customers. And the second one is called Managing Content Marketing. Joe, welcome to the show. Mike, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So today, Joe and I are going to explore the blogging component of content marketing and how it can help your business. So Joe, considering I consider you the, the godfather of content marketing, let's talk about, first of all, what is content marketing for everyone listening today that maybe has heard the buzzword but doesn't totally understand what it is. Well, first of all, you have to be careful with that Godfather uh, tag there. So let's just let's just. All right. How about grandfather? One. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Grandfather. Right, how about oh, my father? Gosh. My kids. Are, yeah, my kids aren't that old yet. Hopefully. <laughs> so yeah, let me let's let's talk a little bit about content marketing because, boy, 2013 uh, is is showing the 
maybe maybe this is the year again for content marketing to to be a res- part of a vernacular with marketing folks and business owners that we haven't seen before. It's just uh, but a lot of people think it's a it's a buzzword. It's important to realize that content marketing has been around for hundreds of years. I like to go back and and look at the example of John Deere creating the Furrow magazine back in the late 1800s. And they did that because they wanted to create a true resource and educational component for farmers to be more successful business owners and farmers. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that back then, they didn't have blogs, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have webinars, they didn't have those types, they couldn't do an in-person event. So they said, let's do a magazine. So that's kind of the first representation of what is now content marketing. And the idea is, is that companies create or curate valuable, compelling, or relevant content on a consistent basis to do something, to maintain or change the behavior. And usually that's to attract or retain a customer. And basically today we are all media companies. We are all publishers. And that's really the essence of what content marketing is. And because there are no technology barriers anymore, Everybody's doing it. Okay, so just to kind of take what you've said and mash it up and and spit it out a little bit in different words, what I hear you saying is that content marketing is really becoming the publisher. And you could argue that this podcast is a form of content marketing. You could argue that Social Media Examiner's blog is a form of content marketing. I mean, is that what we're talking about? Becoming becoming the publisher. Okay. That is exactly right. So actually, it's a good differentiation to talk about the difference between what a small business, large business brand, however you want to look at it, does with their content versus a traditional media company. If you're a traditional media company, you create content to get revenue in one of two ways. One is to get that content sponsored in some ways, like some type of an advertisement, or you're going to sell your content. You're going to charge for a report of some kind. That is how a traditional publisher goes to market. That's that business model. If I'm a small business or I'm a brand of some kind, if I'm John Deere, I'm creating content because I ultimately want to sell them something. That is the difference. And you want to attract them to you, right? It, it, that is exactly right. So, so you're not necessarily making money directly off the content, but it's coming at a, in a later form or you're basically growing that relationship in some way, some way. So they're more likely to buy from you at a later date. And the cool thing about all this, folks, is that today the medium is cheap and it's free in the most parts. Like you could set up a blog in seconds. You could start your own radio show very, very easily. The barriers to entry are very, very small compared to what it used to be without all the, you know, you could start your own virtual TV show with just YouTube and, and your iPhone, right, Joe? I mean, that's what makes this so exciting. The, that's that's the big change. Everybody wants to know, well, why is content marketing taken off in the last five years when it's been around for 100 years? And that's the difference, Mike. It's, it's, it's actually two things. One is there are no barriers to entry because of all the technology that you're talking about. And second is consumers are more accepting of content in different forms than they've ever been before. They will make the credibility uh, they will they will figure out whether a piece of content is credible to them and they'll make that decision in a few seconds. And you don't have to be the Wall Street Journal anymore to say, oh, no, I'm going to engage in that because that's the Times, that's the journal. They will look at you and if you consistently deliver value in whatever content form that is, they will come back to you in the form of an opt-in subscriber of some kind. And that's how our businesses get driven to the next stage. Okay, so you set a really excellent stage for for the the macro picture of what content marketing is, let's dive into blogging, which I would argue is a component of um, content marketing. And um, Joe, let's just start with your story. How did you get into blogging? 
let's start there and then let's talk about what the results were from your blogging in the, in the beginning. Well, I think before, the first thing is, is when you say blogging, you know, a blog, and you and I have had this conversation before, a, a blog is a tool, but it is a very important tool and can be a very important tool and was in particular to, to my story. So just to, to go back in time a little bit, I started in what is now the content marketing industry in 2000 with a company called Penton Media. Penton still is the largest independent business publisher in North America. So they publish magazines for the most part and events uh, in industries like uh, heating and air conditioning or major manufacturing or the food industry or whatnot. And what I did is I ran the custom content division for all those properties, which basically meant, Mike, if somebody didn't want to advertise in a magazine, the, the publisher sent them over to me and said, Joe, figure out how to make money from these people because we can't sell them ads. Mm. And so that we've tried to figure out, okay, well, how do we help these companies tell better stories? And this, I really felt that this is back in 2000, 2001. I really felt this was the future. This was going to be because how were companies going to get attention if they didn't have a compelling story to tell? And we were already seeing uh, media companies and advertising and itself be, become so uh, diverse. If you look at a really good example, if you, if you look at market share of the most popular television shows, you know, Happy Days in the 70s had a 30 plus share. And then you go into the Cosby show in the, in the, in the 90s had a 20 some share. And then you went to American Idol in, in 2005, six had a 13 share. And then today you've got, you know, I think it's Monday night, Sunday night, Monday Night Football, whatever the case is, with like a 10 share. That's mm. going – so, okay, well, it's harder and harder to advertise for that attention. So, so what do you do? And I always thought, oh, boy, this content marketing thing is really going to take off. And I've always had that entrepreneurial bug, too. I'm like, okay, I really want to start my own business. Left Penton in 2007, was VP of, of custom media at the time there. Uh, was making pretty, pretty decent money. And also, at the same time, had a two- and a four-year-old which is probably, if you ask anybody, would be the worst time to start a business. Uh, and, and if you remember back in 2007, the economy wasn't all that good. It like didn't we get just, much better either. <laughs> it didn't get better <laughs> after that. So you could make a case for the fact that I launched a business in the, possibly the worst economic environment that we've seen in the past 20 years. So how did the so blog connect to all this? I know. I, I know. I'm going back too far. That's okay. I, so, yeah. So, so how was I going to promote uh, my expertise in, in content marketing and, and what is now the Content Marketing Institute. How are, we, how are we going to attract customers in some way? I did it through two things, Mike. One was a blog and one was a book. So if I had to do it all over again, I'd say there's two critical components to us being successful. And one was launching the blog. And basically three to four to five times a week, I would try to solve a what I would think was a customer challenge around the practice of content marketing. And then the second most important thing that I did was a book. So for me personally, blogging was so important. And still today, if, if I had to do it over again, I would start with the blog as well. Okay. So, so what were some of the early wins or eye-opening experiences you had after you'd started blogging? You know, I mean, 2007 blogs had been around for a while. You weren't exactly the in the early stages of blogging. You came kind of in the in, in I would almost call like the heyday of blogging. Um, you know, wh what happened when you started blogging? Well, in the first six months, nothing. <laughs> so take, take note, people. 
take note, yeah, people. Sometimes yeah, things don't happen people. overnight. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, and I tell this story a lot, uh, I basically had one regular reader of my blog. It, it was my mother, and she had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> but she was very supportive. So, But, but that, that's exactly where I was at. I was blogging. I mean, so, so think about it. Say the first six months. That's four or five months a week for the first six months, and I had hardly anyone uh, checking out my content. And it, it was about that six-month level, Mike, that I really started to see things happening where people started to spread and that's when of course when social media was really starting to take off you had twitter and facebook that were really starting to move at that time end of 2007 2008 then twitter really took off people were starting to share my content and it didn't uh hurt the fact that i was fairly active in especially twitter okay so joe let me transition a little bit let's talk about what types of businesses, in your opinion, are best suited for blogging? Well, Mike, I guess that would depend on what kind of businesses you're in and what you're trying to do with your business. But the easy answer for me to say is every type of business can be suited for blogging depending on what you're trying to do. I mean, mm -hmm. as we talked about, it, it is just a tool. But if you're trying to communicate your expertise, you're trying to solve the pain points of your customers in some way, a blog is a very, very good way to do that when it comes to getting your information out and you want that information to be found in search engines and you want that information to be shared by your customers and prospects so that you can make a larger network and get new people to your site. Uh, I honestly, unless you have an idea on this, Mike, I don't know if there's a better way to do, do that and put really amazing information together in a package than, than a blog because you can do it. You can embed videos. You can obviously embed podcasts like these. You can link it up with your Pinterest presence and your SlideShare presence and everything else you're trying to do online. So I, I can't find of a business that wouldn't be well suited to doing a, a blog. As long as you commit to it, you have the right niche, you're focused on the informational needs of your customers, and you do it on a consistent basis, which, by the way, is probably the most important part of this thing. So let's chew on this a little bit. Let's dialogue on this because I think that if you're listening right now and you have a business that's got a complex sale, let's say it's expensive or let's say it's got a long sales cycle because it's not a decision that a business can just make overnight. Um, this is an area for sure I think where a blog comes in really handy. Um, if you have a business that's selling a commodity, I'm not sure there's going to be as much of, of a use for a blog. But if you do have a, like even a local business where you want to develop loyal clientele, share stories and stuff like that, I mean, I'm just free-flowing here, Joe. Well, but. yeah, I mean, look at it this way. Let's say that you're McDonald's, right? And you, so, so what is McDonald's going to do with a blog? Well, what they've done in Canada is they've used their blogs, blogs posts to answer customer questions about what goes into McDonald's meat and what about their customer service. So they use it as a customer service tool. Hmm. So it's a very, very helpful tool on the customer service side. If you are a consulting practice, well, you should be giving away all, by the way, there are no secrets, right? There is no secret sauce. You should be giving away all your secret sauce so you can expand your reach and have a competitive advantage. And for all those consulting practices that say, oh, I don't want to give out my secret sauce because people don't want to do business with me. Well, if your customers don't do business with you because they've read one blog post and now they're done, well, you don't want that business anyways. You want to move on and go to somebody else that really needs your expertise. So consultants are a big deal. And and by the way, if you want to write a book, 
which Joe and I have done, I, I think I would argue that there's no better platform to get the eyes of an audience, which is what publishers want, than starting with a blog. Wouldn't you agree, Joe? Well, and then I mean, you're talking to somebody that I took the you know the first six to nine months of all my blog posts in 2007, and that's how Get Content Get Customers was created. Because then I took those blog posts. First of all, I'm creating my own platform, which is critically important for any business. And then second of all, I can take that content, repackage that, repurpose it, reimagine it into new forms to do different things like you and I did with our books. And, you know, if, you, if you're in a crowded industry and you find that you don't have the money to advertise, which is the typical route that so many of us have been trained, but you do have some creative bent or you have the ability to sew a story or even to share your knowledge, this is a great way to differentiate yourself because surprisingly, um, there are very few blogs in most industries that do things well. And when it's done well, all of a sudden, and we can take Marcus Sheridan as a great example. Joe, why don't you share a little bit about Marcus's story? Oh, Marcus, I mean, it's, it's an amazing, Marcus Sheridan, River Pools and Spas CEO. It's an amazing story. He's on the verge of uh, generally going out of business. This is in, I think, 2007, 2008. Uh, obviously not a great time for people that would want to purchase fiberglass pools, which is what Marcus did. So he's trying to figure out how he's going to stay in business. And the only way to take the the next level in your business from that standpoint, because people aren't buying more pools, you need to take your competition's business. You have to get more market share. And what Marcus and his, and his team sat down and said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to answer every question on the face of the earth that someone would have about fiberglass pools. And that's exactly what he did. So all those weird pricing questions and the difference between fiberglass pools and concrete pools and everything else, he answered those questions questions in an authentic way, the best he knew how, which was into a blog post that didn't cost him a lot of money, cost him a lot of time, resources from that standpoint, but didn't cost him money. And then in just a couple years period, in a, in years, right? Not in months, in a year's period of time, his blog is now the number one ranked swimming pool blog in the world. And that's over and above any other manufacturer in the world. Now, let me, this, let me, it, and let me append an important end to this story, folks. It's not just that he has a popular blog. It's that his customers are sales ready when they come to him. In the past, he would have to go out and he'd have to spend hours. Now, people come to him ready to buy and he can go and spend just one meeting with them and close the deal. They've done all the educating they need off of his website and they are ready to purchase and we both know Marcus very well. And and that just shows you the power because there's an example of a complex sell. I've got a swimming pool. I don't know if you do, Joe, but it's complex to go through that whole process. And to have the customer come to you having read all of your content and having been convinced with it that you are the company, that makes the sales cycle so much shorter, doesn't it? Well, I think to your point, the majority of Marcus's sales are actually virtual sales. They engage with 10, 20, 30 pieces of content and they make their decision to buy from Marcus without ever talking to a sales rep. Which, by the way, in the majority of businesses, even B2B, where we think in business to business, the salesperson is king, right? We can't do anything without a salesperson. If you look at marketing Sherpa stats, 60% of the buying decision-making process is done today without ever talking to a sales rep. What that means, if you don't have compelling content along the way to somebody purchasing your product, you're going to be left out of that decision-making process. And that's where blogs are so critical. Well, Joe... Clearly, blogs have been one of the key instrumental forms of content uh, to, 
for your organization, the Content Marketing Institute. I know that that blog content has been huge for Social Media Examiner, but there's still a lot of people listening right now, hearing the Marcus Sheridan story and some of the other things we've been talking about, and they're still saying, gosh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you know, blogging for my business is, is right for me. What do you say to the skeptic right now who's, who's, who's on the fence? Well, you know what? If you don't mind, Mike, I'll share a little bit of a personal story. Yeah. And hopefully your, your listeners will, will get something out of it. I'm actually working on, on my next book. And the start of the first chapter is going to be the number 39400 And $39,400 is what I've spent over the last six years on advertising to grow our business to a multi-million dollar organization. Uh, we ranked in the Inc. 500 this year as number 365. We were the ninth fastest growing media company, two behind Facebook, believe it or not. Uh, we were the lo- fastest growing startup in Northeast Ohio, and we spent less than $50,000 on traditional advertising. And so I'm gonna take that back to your premise of this. The reason why this whole podcast is going on is blogging and I can tell you bar none that the number one thing we've done to grow that business is by sharing compelling content and answering our customers questions in every way shape and form through our blog so personally I'm very passionate about I mean we can talk about Marcus and talk about all the different ways to do it but I can tell you personally that if I had not launched a blog and we had not done this we would not have been able to do anything else we've been able to, to do in our business and our events in content marketing world and content marketing institutes. So hopefully it will convince somebody to say, yeah, this is, this is something we should think of. And the difference is, Mike, is because a lot of the blogs that are out there, of course, content is an issue, but the big issue is consistency every day. And you do this as well. Every day we get up and there's a blog post there waiting for our readers. And that's the difference between us and most of the other people that do blogs. We, we kind of talked about this, but a little bit with the Marcus story, but if you can just briefly respond to this, what is the connection between blogging and sales? I'll tell you the biggest difference, and I think it's overlooked by most people, and it's the value of a subscription. And I, if, if, and I know you run your business uh, similar. We have similar type of businesses, Mike. But the number one way that we get to sales is through subscription. Let me give you an example. I want our blog, our, our blog content to be so compelling that people opt in to subscribe to it. We get their email address in some way. And I know you have hundreds of thousands of readers on yours. And we have about almost 40,000 readers on ours. And it took us a while to get there. What happens is, is when I, if I can get somebody to subscribe to our content, that sets the sales motion it, it, it Let's stuff. clarify email subscription. You mean email? Right? I'm sorry, yeah. email. Well, we have print subscribers too because we have a magazine. But you mean free subscriptions? But free. Thank you very much. Free email subscriptions so that every day we send them an email in the morning and they get our latest blog post. And if we can do that, if we can get them to sign up for our email, that means that it's more likely for them to come to our event and there's more, more likely for them to buy things from us online that we have to offer for content marketing, training, and education. Everything starts with that subscription. How do we get that subscription? We've got to create the best content on the planet and deliver that through our blog. So I can track almost 95% of our sales initially to a blog subscription. So if I, I can't do any better than that, Mike, that's, <laughs> it basically that's big, all man. of our sales come initially from a blog post. That's awesome. Now, um, 
Joe, you have a multi-author blog. And uh, just to clarify for folks, what that means is Joe's not the only one writing the content. He's got an entire army of experts. Um, can you kind of share your thoughts on, on on doing a solo blog, meaning one person writing the content versus a multi-author blog? You've, I, you've had both. So what are your thoughts? So I started the blog in 2007 as a single user. Blog. It was just mine. I basically posted four or five times a day. Most of the most of the time it was spent myself on content creation. I was doing all, I mean, I was, a, it was just me, right? It was just me launching the business. I didn't have anybody else. And then as that started to take off, I started to say, wow, I need to start focusing more on strategy, more on sales, more on getting out there and wanted to recruit other people. Now I'm thinking, oh, wow, I need to do this because I need to do other things. I never really realized in hindsight is 2020, Mike that this was probably the smartest decision I could have made. And the reason why it was so awesome is we were starting to get uh, contributors from outside to go ahead and give their insight on our blog. But what it did was we were able to tap into new networks that we never had before. So let me expand on that because I think it's crucial and important. If I create a blog, I have my network and I can organically grow that network out. How do I take that and put it on steroids and get a larger network. I can get influencers and other smart people to contribute to that blog. And when they blog on our platform, they share that out with their network and we can get more people signing up through their through an email subscription and grow our network. And I think that has been the key over the last two years from us really taking our growth from, you know, a reasonable good growth to amazing growth is the fact that we've tripled, you know, quadrupled the size of our network in a very short time because of our influencers sharing our content, their content with other people. I want to, I want to, a word came into my mind, a movement. When you create a movement, people gather around it, you know, and this is what you've done is you've created a movement around content marketing and you've attracted a lot of people that want to be part of that. And because of the name of your blog, because it's not Joe's blog, but it's instead named the Content Marketing Institute or something along those lines, everybody is gathering behind it and you're getting the power of the masses behind you. And that is way more powerful than any one person. Now, I do have to say, I do have to say, though, Mike, that I had a conversation with somebody that was launching a blog called Social Media Examiner that did this thing, and I learned a lot, <laughs> learned a lot about that. <laughs> about six months later, launching the Content Marketing Institute under the same platform. So I remember that conversation vividly, Joe. <laughs> in San Diego, yep, absolutely. And uh, so, thanks to you for kind of showing me the light. But it, it is critically important. Uh, doing this. And I think uh, more people should look at that as an opportunity to to grow their networks out. So, okay. Um, one of the last questions that I think is on people's minds right now is recruiting. How do you recruit someone to write for your multi-author blog? It's easy now for you, Joe, because you've got some momentum behind you, but what recommendations would you give to people? How did you do it in the beginning? Uh, you give content gifts. You give lots of content gifts. And by, by what I mean by content gifts, so let's say that you're a single blogger, you don't have a lot of resources, you can identify the people that are influential in your network. You know, you can do that through, uh, through watching on Twitter, you can do that through Google Alerts, however you want to figure out where your customers are hanging out when they don't hang out on your blog. 
That's what you want to figure out. Those are the influences in your industry. How do you get their attention? You basically share their content and you tag them on Facebook and Twitter. You do content um, collaborations. Let's say you do eBooks and you share their case studies and you basically make those people look really smart. Obviously, really good content for your own readers. But if you do this smartly, you will get their attention. And then when you reach out to those folks and say, hey, Mike Stelzner, I would like you to do a guest blog post on our site. You know me. I've been sharing your stuff for a while. And you say, sure, Joe, you've been sharing my stuff for a while. Thank you for that. I would love to. That's exactly what happened. I still believe to this day that's the best way to do it. And then once you can get those people writing for you, you're right. You, you get enough people coming to your site where like now usually about three or four times a day we get somebody that says we, they want to contribute. But you've got to get it started and do that through Content Gift. Joe, this has been really, really awesome. I hope it's been inspiring for a lot of folks that are listening. Can you tell folks where they can find your blog and where they can find out more about you and your books? Thank you. Uh, you can get everything on the Content Marketing Institute at contentmarketinginstitute.com. Uh, we have our events series, Content Marketing World. We do events in uh, Cleveland in September and Sydney, Australia coming up in, in March, uh, Content Marketing World Sydney. And you can find out information there at Content Marketing World. And all about me and my books, you can find me on Twitter at Junta Joe or at JoePolizzi.com. And let me just add, folks, that Joe puts on some of the best conferences I've ever experienced in my life. And to Joe, I put credit for giving me the inspiration to do Social Media Marketing World. So you guys definitely need to check out Content Marketing World. I think it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. So, hey, Joe, thank you so much for um, taking part with today's uh, interview and keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And any time, I'd be happy to be on your show. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview. Uh, there was quite a bit we talked about. You can catch the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 25. Also, if you really enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you let your friends know about it by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash love. That'll craft a tweet and put it into your Twitter stream and help us spread the word. This does bring us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. If you've liked what you've heard, would you help us with a review on iTunes and a rating? To do that, you can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. And I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.